It's good to be here, guys, in the house of the Lord. Um, my name is Tyler. I'm, I'm the pastor that oversees the high school ministry, and uh, it's a privilege to fill in the pulpit. And so I love studying God's Word. I don't really want to be preaching to you all. I just want to study God's Word together. Amen? And uh, that's what we're going to do tonight. So in Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be because we're still continuing this series in uh, the Hall of Faith that we've entitled it. So um, just a shout out also to the, the youth, the middle school and high school. We just got, we got back from our camp um, almost a month ago now. Um, the kids are on fire for the Lord. It's just a privilege for me and Barrett to be shepherding um, your students and uh, be in prayer for them. Be in prayer for us as well. It's a tough job. Um, it's, it's so fulfilling, so rewarding, but it can be challenging. And so be, uh, be praying for the youth department here at Cornerstone. Um, and, uh, but they had a blast. It was one of the best camps that we've had um, yet. The Lord did amazing things. So I'm just excited for what he has in store. Hebrews chapter 11 is, is where we're going to be. And uh, we're continuing this short series in Hebrews uh, known as the Hall of Faith. The writer is going to highlight men and women. Austin talked about this last week. Um, who lived a life of faith in the Lord, no matter the circumstance. And so you have to remember as well that these individuals in chapter 11 did not live a life of luxury. They, they, they weren't superheroes. Um, we, we sometimes look at them as that, but they, they were examples, but they did not live a life of luxury per se. Um, some had amazing testimonies when you read about their stories in the Old Testament, but others suffered, others were imprisoned, others were mocked or even killed. So the writer then says in chapter 12, that's why he summarizes it all, and says, therefore, since we have these examples before us, let us run the race called life that God has called you and I to live with endurance, keeping our eyes and focus on Jesus. Amen? That's the whole point. It's not if you have faith, then you're going to be just like these people. No, some of them did not have good, good outcomes. You, you read the rest of chapter 11, it's pretty gruesome too. Um, it's, it's, it's challenging. And so in this chapter, just remember that it's, it's not a life of luxury. It's, it's a life of serving the Lord no matter what the circumstance is, but to walk by faith, not by sight. Um, for tonight, I'm going to want us to look at a very interesting, unique, and I think underrated character in all of Scripture. Um, his name is... Enoch, and we're going to look at verse 5 um, in Hebrews chapter 11. And so, can you read with me verse 5 of Hebrews 11? It says here, By faith Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. I love that. Enoch's name in Hebrew means dedicated. So if you're taking notes, I've got a lot of scripture verses for you. I want you to be taking notes, be diligent students of God's word. Um, And his name means dedicated. Before we pray, I want to kind of highlight who this person is because we don't know much about him. He only appears three times in three books of the Bible. And it's very, um, again, just not a lot to say about him. But I think he's such an interesting, fascinating character that we can learn a lot from. There's only two people in the Bible that are identified as they walked with God. Enoch is one of them, and the other character is Noah. Only two people in all the Bible that were basically said that they walked with God. 
Nobody, I'm sure everybody, there was a lot of people that walked with God, but no one was actually described as that except Enoch and Noah. There's only two people in the Bible that were told specifically that they pleased God. Enoch is one of them, and then Jesus Christ. He's the other one, where God says in Matthew 17, this is my son whom I am well pleased, listen to him. Only two people in all the Bible, Enoch and Jesus, it says that they pleased God. And then there's only two people in the Bible that we know that were taken to heaven and did not experience death. Enoch is one of them. Does anybody know the other person? Elijah. Enoch and Elijah, the two E's. It's easy to remember. But we know from Scripture that these two men did not experience a natural death. God took them. This is a rapture scene we're going to have in Genesis chapter 5 we're going to look at. God literally takes him from the earth in heaven and he doesn't experience a natural death. So it's very interesting. Just a little background about Enoch. There are some Bible commentators that believe that Enoch may be one of the two witnesses in Revelation chapter 11 only because he and Elijah both did not experience death. Um, But when you read Revelation 11, it does sound more of Moses and Elijah. We're not sure for certain, but it's very interesting to note that um, there are those that believe that Enoch may be one of them. I still lean towards Moses and Elijah himself. But Enoch, again, he only appears three times in all the Bible, and we see these three attributes about him in each passage. I want to look at the screen real quick. Here is everything to know about Enoch, really, in all the Bible. He appears in Genesis 5 for a man that pursued God. Um, We're going to go to Genesis 5 and talk about that. He appears right here in Hebrews 11. We just read it, of someone who pleased God. And then we actually see that he appears in Jude chapter 1. There's only one chapter in Jude, but we're just going to say Jude 1, that he preached about God. So let me dive in real quick about who this person is, and then we're going to pray and then go in with our study. But first off, we see in Genesis 5.22, Genesis 5.22, we see that Enoch um, pursued after God. It literally means that he walked or he lived in close fellowship with God. I want to read Genesis 5.22. This is the NLT. It says here, after the birth of Methuselah, Enoch lived in close fellowship with God, or he walked with God, for 300 years. And he had other sons and daughters. Enoch lived 365 years walking in close fellowship with God. And then one day he disappeared because God took him. Very fascinating character. I mean, he lived only 365 years. I say only. But when you compare to the other people in that, Methuselah lives to be 969 years. It's amazing. I mean, I I can't even really begin to imagine. It's like, that's crazy. But this person, Enoch, he actually lives the least amount of years, 365. Isn't it interesting, 365? What do we always think about when we hear 365? The year. It's interesting that he walked with God for 365 years. I think that's amazing. And then it says God took him. He was no more. What was so special about Enoch that God just takes him? He disapp- I mean, how would, that, how would your family be like, where, where's Enoch? He's, he's missing. No one knows where he is. He just disappeared. Like, that doesn't happen. This was the Old Testament times. This is, like, freaky. Everyone's like, what, what happened to, you know, I'm sure he had, he had sons and daughters. So everyone's like, where's dad? I don't know. He's just gone. We have no idea what happened. Um, interesting character. And God had a reason for, for taking him. Also in Hebrews 11, verse 5, we see that 
He was one that pleased God. We just read about this. Hebrews 11 verse 5, and I want you to take note of this part. When it says, by faith, Enoch was taken away so that he did not see death and was not found because God had taken him. For before he was taken, he had this testimony that he pleased God. I love that. He had a testimony or a reputation among others before God took him. Isn't that an amazing legacy? He was known by people for someone that pleased God. And you have to remember, in that time, in that, in that genealogy from Adam to Enoch and eventually to Noah, it was corrupt. It was wicked. We, we read about that. The flood comes because of that. So Enoch is probably living in some weird, corrupt time. But it says that he was one that pleased God. And I love that he had a testimony. He had a reputation among others. And last but not least, we're going to see that another part of Enoch is that he preached about God. If you read Jude's epistle, again, it's just one chapter, but Jude, verses 14 to 15, quotes Enoch concerning actually the Lord's second coming. So when you read Jude and he actually just quotes Enoch, well, where, where, you know, when you look back in Scripture, you don't see that quote anywhere. Where did Jude get that? And it's interesting, just a side note, Jude quotes the words of Enoch that actually appear in the books, first and second, Enoch. Now, these books are attributed to Enoch, and they were written between the Old Testament and the New Testament period. So, after Malachi and before Matthew, you have the... Um, the silent years, if you will, that it's called. It was about 400 years. And that's when these books and other writings were written, and they were regarded as Jewish literature. Um, now, the books are not a part of our canon of Scripture, so we have to be careful. If, if you read them, it's not a part of our Scripture. So we have to be, you know, mindful of that. However, they are valuable, I think, for understanding Jewish history, culture, and obviously Jude quotes from it, which tells us that Jude would have read it. Probably Peter would have read it as well. Peter kind of alludes to the books of Enoch in his epistles. No doubt the apostles probably read it. But again, that's just a side note of where we see a quote of Enoch in Jude chapter 1. But again, it doesn't appear in our scripture, so we have to be mindful of that. But of these three references, for the remainder of our time and our study for together, of these three references in Enoch in the Bible, we're going to look at just one of them and study it together And it's the verse that we saw at the beginning, Hebrews 11, verse 5, and we're going to talk about how Enoch pleased God. Just three words, but yet it's so powerful, and I want us to talk about what does it actually mean to please God, and how does that look in our everyday life? The Bible has so much to say about what it means and how does it look to please God, and I want to take the rest of our time to just kind of study and meditate on that. But before we, go, we keep going, let's pray, and then we'll continue to dive in in our study. Would you pray with me? Father God, we thank you for this time. I pray that you would just give me the right words to say. I pray, Lord, that we would all be open and receptive to what you have for us tonight. God, this, this individual that we really don't know much about, but Lord, he appears in the hall of faith, because it says, by faith he was taken, but before he was taken... He had such a close relationship and walked with you every day of his life. And people knew that. 
may it be so with us as well. Let us take note of this character and how we can apply it to our lives because ultimately, Lord, our goal is to please you. And so use this time, Lord. Speak to us now. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. Well, before we begin, there, there are th- many things, I'm sure you can list some, there are many things in life that bring us pleasure or satisfaction. Um, I'm just going to list off some for me because I'm the one preaching, so here you go. Um, for me, the beach, the beach is very pleasurable for me. I love the beach. Any, any beach fans out there? Sweet. Um, my wife and I have always said we're just going to retire at the beach and just live on the sand, you know. I, I know that, that chapter where Jesus says, hey, don't build your house on the sand, build it on the rock. I was like, okay, man, I don't like that verse. But um, the beach, it's therapeutic. I love it. Um, Chipotle is pleasurable to me. Um, I will go to Chipotle over Chick-fil-A, just FYI. Sorry about that. Um, but hey, Chick-fil-A, they, they love you. It's always their pleasure to serve you, right? So they are pleased with your money. Um, but one random thing I thought this would be interesting, I just want to share you from my personal life. One random thing that brings me pleasure is, is a good pillow. Because uh, for the past 10 years, I just got to be honest with you, because we're family, I just want to let you know about some of my struggles in life. <laughs> um, I have not found a good pillow in the past 10 years. I'm just going to be honest. Um, I feel like Mike Lindell with my pillow. I did buy his pillow. I bought it, and it's been nice. Um, it just hasn't worked for me, and I have had horrible luck. Teenage years, college, I was fine. It's just, when I got married, it, like, something happened. I don't know. I, like, did not have a good pillow. Um, I, it's not like I need counseling. I just, <laughs> I can sleep fine. I just, I don't know. When I wake up, it's like, ah, oh, this is not really satisfying. Um, it's become a laughing matter with me and my wife. We're just, like, we're sick and tired of me trying to find the best pillow. And we've got pillows everywhere in our closets. We're like, why do we have these? Like, let's just get rid of them. Um, but I, I even asked my mother-in-law for a pillow for Christmas. How lame is that? Um, she, she, I love my mother-in-law. And she always asks us like months before Christmas, like, what's, your, what's on your list? I'm like, I have no idea what I want. But this time I knew. I was like, I want this pillow. And it's kind of an expensive pillow. <laughs> And she texted me back and was like, did, did I read this right? Is this a pillow? I said, yeah, it is. Um, just, just go with it, please. Yeah, um, so I'm having some dad problems now, just not finding the right pillow. Funny story, I gotta just share this with you because it's hilarious. Um, there, there's a local chiropractor shop, and I'm not gonna say the name, but um, maybe some of you go to it. But they sell these professional like pillows that are supposed to be really good for you. And I heard about it. I'm like, well, I got to go get one. This sounds really weird, just like I'm a, such a freak about pillows. But I, I was like, I got to go buy one because I, I need it. I, I need something. And so I go, and there they are in the lobby, in the package. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go buy one. And so I go to the front desk. I have it. And uh, she was very nice. And she was like, oh, you're going to buy one of these pillows? You're going to love it. Um, are you here for an appointment as well? And I said, no, I'm just here to buy a pillow. Um, okay, well, great. I have this pillow. It's changed my life. You're going to love it. I'm like, well, great. But okay, if a chiropractor secretary says it, then it's got to be good. So I said, I'm going to buy one for my wife. So I bought two. I'm like, Kayla's going to love this. And uh, I buy them, take them home. We take it out of the package. And it's kind of, I, I didn't see it in the package per se, but it's, it's very firm on the edges. And then it's got like this hole in the middle. 
It's like a, it was like a cave. I was like, I'm not spelunking. What is this? I'm like, I guess you place your head here. And we tried it and we were like, the next morning we we're like, no. We both were like, no, I don't know what it was. I'm like, why? Why did she recommend this? Um, so I said, I'm taking them back. She's like, you're not going to take these pillows back. I said, I'm taking them back. Like, I'm, I'm such a dad. Like, I'm going to get my money back. And I'm not mad. I just like, I don't want to keep storing pillows in our house. Take it back. I put it in the package. I staple it up. And we, so weird. We go back. It was actually just me. I went by myself. I go back the next day. And it's the same secretary at the, the front desk. And uh, she, knew, she knew me. She was like, are you Pastor Tyler? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, oh, we go to Cornerstone. We love it. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> Why? Every time. I go back and I'm holding the pillows. Now, there's other people in the lobby. So I'm like, this is so awkward. I go and I'm trying to be very discreet. I just want to get it over with. I'm returning these pillows. She comes and she's like, oh, hey, Tyler. Oh, she notices the pillow. She's like, oh, didn't work out for you. I said, no. And I'm whispering. No, I, no offense, just didn't really like it. Um, so I want to return them. She's like, oh, okay, no, it's fine. And we're both whispering. And people are like, kind of just like, what is going on? And I can feel them. I can feel their presence behind me in the back. And I'm like, this is so weird. Here's the pillows. Give me my money back. One of the main doctors comes out. He knows me. I know him. And he goes, Tyler, hey. He sees me with the pillows, thinks I'm buying them. He goes, oh, dude. Great choice. You're going to love these pillows. They're amazing. I'm like, yeah. I, I didn't know what to say. I just said, yeah. Without me saying anything, the secretary goes and says, he's returning them. The people in the lobby start laughing. Like they, it's like a soap opera. They can hear us talk. I'm like, and I'm holding them. I'm like, yeah. Then he went, oh, it's fine. It, they're not for everybody. It's fine. I'm like, yeah, just take your pillow back. I don't really want it. Um, so I left, and I'm like, I'm never going to come back here again. I'm sorry. No. No, it's fine. It's great. Um, that has nothing to do with my studies, so we're going to go back to Enoch. <laughs> but if you have any good pillow suggestions, let me know. Um, <laughs> we are told that Enoch pleased God. So I've got to really transition now. What does that exactly mean? What does that exactly mean? I want us to look at Ephesians 5.10 because Paul will tell us in Ephesians 5.10, carefully determine what pleases the Lord. So it's our responsibility and our due diligence to study scripture and to carefully determine what exactly pleases God. What is it that pleases God? Because there are some things that we might do that we think pleases God, but it really doesn't please God. And if you're questioning something, maybe there's a sin struggle or maybe there's something going on and you're like, Does God, is God really pleased with this? If you're questioning it, it, he probably isn't pleased with it. So carefully determine what pleases the Lord. Proverbs 16, 7, if you're taking notes, says when people's lives please the Lord, even their enemies are at peace with them. So there's something about when we please the Lord, even the people that we dislike or dislike us, there's some sort of peace that comes between just because we're pleasing the Lord with our lives. So what exactly pleases the Lord? I want to look at five things, five ways that are found in Scripture that God is pleased with when practiced in our life. Because when you ask yourself, how did Enoch actually please God to the point where God took him home and he didn't experience death? Well, we're going to look at Scripture 
and maybe get a glimpse of what Enoch understood as pleasing God. Number one is surrender. Surrender is actually key in bringing pleasure to the Lord and and pleasing Him with our lives. Romans 8, verse 8. I love this verse. And I actually want to go and read Romans uh, 8 a little bit more than just verse 8. But let me read verse 8 real quick, and I'm going to have it on the screen. But Romans 8, verse 8 actually tells us that that's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Have you ever thought about that? That's why those who are still under the control of their sinful nature can never please God. Now, in the context of Romans chapter 8, it's a great chapter. You need to read it when you go home. If you haven't read Romans chapter 8, because Romans chapter 8, verse 1, it just begins with, therefore, there is no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. That's an amen, because if you're a brother or sister in the Lord, God does not condemn you, but he has his righteousness on you. And the rest of chapter 8, though, gets a little more interesting, and we get more context. I'm going to look at verse 5, because Paul says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. So there's always a battle with our flesh and the Spirit. Verse 6, For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. And then he says in verse 8, so then those who are in the flesh or in their sinful nature cannot please God. Now here's the key in verse 9. But you, he's talking to the the Roman Christians and for us, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. Now if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he is not his. So this is key. Paul is clearly spelling out that those that are in the flesh or those that are under the control of their sinful nature are not in Christ. He's talking about non-believers. And he says here, thus they cannot please God. Whether they think they are with good works or not, they are actually not pleasing Him. Because they're still under the control of their sinful nature. Now I'm not talking about, hey, we, we still are as believers, we'll sin from time to time, because we still have a sinful nature. But yet, now we have the control of Christ and His Spirit within us, that we can combat our flesh now. But Paul is saying something clearly different. He's saying that those that just give into their flesh all the time, they don't have the Spirit. They're not walking in Christ. So thus, they can't please God. So what pleases God then is surrender. A surrendering of self, of your heart. Giving your life over to Him, accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior in your life, and then having the Spirit of God dwell within you. But it starts with surrender. I am living my life against Him, and I need to surrender now and lay my life down. And that will please the Lord greatly. That's number one that we have to remember, surrender. Number two, and it's going to kind of progress, is repentance. The Bible is loaded with verses about repentance, repentance of sin, and in Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 11, I'm going to come back to the Psalm 1, but Ezekiel 33, 11, God says, as surely as I live, says the sovereign Lord, I take no pleasure in the death of wicked people. I only want them to turn from their wicked ways so they can live. God's heart is always about, I want you to turn and come to me so you can live. I take no pleasure when wicked people die. And I think some people actually think that, that God takes pleasure in like, just get them, Lord, those that are in sin and are wicked and evil in this world, and when God smites them, 
yeah, justice is done. But actually God says, but I actually don't take pleasure in that. I have no pleasure in that. I actually want people to return to me. Repent. God is patient with you and me. The psalm that I had on the screen as well, Psalm 5117, you can write it down. It's a psalm of David. And it's actually a psalm concerning his affair with Bathsheba and then confessing his sin to the Lord. But I love what Psalm 5117 says. It says, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite or repentant heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Now, in the context of that psalm, he just, had, he just committed adultery with Bathsheba. He's confronted. He says, I've sinned, and he repents, and then he writes this psalm. But in the, the beginning of Psalm 51, he says, Lord, if you would have wanted sacrifices of, of an ox or a, a, a sheep, I would have done that. But you don't want sacrifices. You don't want rituals. What you want is a broken spirit. David understood What pleases the Lord is not these rituals, but a broken and repentant heart. God does not want you and I to come to him fixed, like we're trying to fix ourselves. He says, I want you to come broken so that I can fix you. He wants to put the pieces of our life together. And I think one of the most beautiful things is when someone has just been so hardened in their heart, and then they just break. But it's a beautiful thing. Because if they're broken and they repent of their sin... God sees that and they say, I want, that's what I want. That's what pleases me. I just want your heart. David knew that. He understood. The next one we see, and again, it progresses from surrender to repentance. The next one is faith. And we see that clearly in, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 5, where it talked about, um, in verse 5 about Enoch, by faith he was taken from the earth, but he had a testimony. But in verse 6 is very interesting because it's a little commentary of Enoch. It says in verse 6, but without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Did everybody catch that? God is pleased with us when we come to him by faith. And the writer of Hebrews is clearly saying it's impossible to please God without faith. And faith, we see the definition again in verse 1 of chapter 11. It's the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I love what Jesus said to the disciples, especially to Thomas, when he appeared to them in his glorified body, but he still had the nail scars. And Thomas says, my Lord, my God, I believe. And Jesus says, you believe in me because you've seen me. But blessed are those who have never seen me and yet they believe. And that is you and me. I've never seen Jesus physically. I'm sure people have seen him maybe in a vision or in a dream. God's revealed to them. But but I'm I'm living in that generation that Jesus talked about. I've never seen Jesus. Not yet. But I still believe he's real. Because that's faith. And you can't explain faith. Now, exactly what, what he actually says here in verse 6 is very interesting. He says, for he who comes to God must believe that he exists. Atheism is absolute foolishness to God. And it should be foolishness to you and me. It's foolishness. We cannot have morals, love, 
understanding of right versus wrong unless it first came from someone superior than you and me. You didn't come up with what's good and bad. Where did you come up with that? Where did I come up with what's good and what's bad? Where where did I learn to love? How did I have that capacity to love? No one, none of us set the standard. It came from someone who's higher than us. That's why atheism is foolishness. The psalmist says that the fool says in their heart, there is no God. Now, I'm not here to debate about atheism or whatnot, but I'm just saying it takes more faith to believe there is not a God than to believe there is a God. Got to really think about that. It takes more faith to believe that there is not an intelligent designer or a supreme being. Ecclesiastes says that eternity was written in the hearts of men, which means we're made in God's image and God has set eternity in our hearts, which means we are longing for something that's greater than ourselves. All of us have that. And, that's the vo- and we're trying to fill a void that won't be filled unless it's with Jesus. And so it, you have to come to him by faith and believe that he exists and he's going to reward you when you diligently seek him. But again, faith, it's not some artificial wish list. It's a confident hope. My faith is real and my faith is secure and it's in Jesus. And I have no doubt about it. Am I going to doubt a little bit in life? Sure. But I know that Jesus is in control. I know he's in control of my life and I know he's in control of the universe and that's enough for me. And I know that prophecy in the Old Testament has been fulfilled. For sure he's going to fulfill it in the New Testament. You could just do a whole sermon on faith. I need to keep going. But faith is something that God is pleased with. You cannot please God without faith. Number four, and here's the verse, we already read it. Number four is worship. And it's very interesting, again, when, how this progresses. You go from surrendering your life to then repenting of your sin to then having faith in Jesus to then wanting to naturally worship him. And I'm going to look at this verse, Hebrews 12, verse 28 on the screen. It's just the next chapter in Hebrews. But the writer says, since we are receiving a kingdom that is unshakable, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Notice how he didn't say singing. I'm not here to bash singing. Some of us can sing, some of us can't. I get that. That was a joke, by the way. You can laugh. Okay. Um, But he says here, let us be thankful and please God by worshiping him with holy fear and awe. Translation, worship is, is not just singing. It's not just playing instruments. Although there are plenty of verses that talk about that, and I'm going I'm to quote one of the Psalms that do talk about that. But the writer of Hebrews chose not to say worshiping him with song. He says worshiping him with holy fear and with awe. Simply put, are you worshiping God with your whole being, revering his name, that he is holy and awesome? I love the psalm when it says, be still and know that he is God. Sometimes we just need to shut down, slow down, and just recognize he's God. And then out of that will come singing. Out of that will come, I want to worship something that's greater 
than me. It goes back to the faith part. But being thankful and humble unto the Lord is an act of worship. Being thankful unto him. Romans chapter 12, verse 1. I'm going to paraphrase it, but it tells us that we are to offer our bodies as living and holy sacrifices unto the Lord, for this is our spiritual act of worship. Again, he doesn't talk about singing. And I don't want to feel like I'm bashing it about singing and worship and praise. My point is, God wants us to come to him with our whole being and respect and revere him in a holy way that he is good, that he is great, that he's awesome, and that he is God, and we're not. And we are worshiping him in that way. But also when we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice, spiritually speaking, that is an act of worship. We're giving all of us to him. All of us to him, and that is worship. Now I do want to read the psalm that David would say, Psalm 69, 30-31, you can write that down. I will praise the name of God with song and will magnify him with thanksgiving. This shall please the Lord. So God is still pleased when we sing to him, when we worship, when we come up here on stage every Sunday and Wednesday, sing praises unto him. He is pleased with that. And isn't it interesting that when you are in a relationship with Jesus, you just naturally want to worship him just because of who he is. That's it. It's not about what we've done or who we are or our pains and our struggles, and I get that, but worship is not about you and me. Hello. It is about God. Some of our worship industry right now has got it flipped. I'm not calling anybody out, but I'm just saying I've heard some worship songs. I'm like, this has nothing to do with God. This is just about me struggling. I don't want to hear that. I hear that all the time. Satan reminds me. I want to worship God for who he is. That song that is a classic song, our God is an awesome God. Filled with love, power, and wisdom, our God is an awesome God. That's all we're going to be doing in heaven anyway, is we're going to worship Jesus for who he is. Last but not least, we're going to close with this. How can we please God in everyday life is obedience. And this one is key. And I want to look at this verse. It's on the screen. I'm going to put it up on the screen. It's, it's found in 1 Samuel 15, 22. And it's Samuel talking to King Saul. And I really like this verse. And he says, what is more pleasing to the Lord? Your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Now, if you know the story, Samuel was confronting Saul because Saul did not fulfill the commandments that God gave him. Saul said, I, I did all this. But, but yeah, I didn't, I didn't do this much. But hey, I still obeyed. Samuel says, not quite. And Samuel would actually strip the kingship from Saul and it would become David's. But when Samuel is giving this message to Saul, Samuel uses the word for obedience. The Hebrew word is shema. And it means listen or obey in submission. To listen or obey in submission. King Saul did not fulfill the whole command. Because his heart was not in tune with God. He may have done all the rituals. He may have done like some of the commandments. But God said, no, you're actually, your heart, you've got your priorities wrong, Saul. Your heart is not with me. Now David's heart would be for the Lord. David was known as a man after God's own heart. David was running after the Lord. He was pursuing him. 
Saul was just, I think, trying to get by. He's an interesting character. But my point is God is more pleased with our obedience than rituals or religious duties. Now, I might be speaking to some of, them, some of you in the crowd. Your good works are good, but they don't get you to heaven. They're not good enough. Your rituals and religious duties are good, morally speaking, but they're not good enough. Why? Because it was never about good works. It's about your heart. That's it. Obedience that comes from the heart. That is what's going to please the Lord. 1 John 3.22, you can write this down. We will receive from Him, God, whatever we ask because we obey Him and do the things that please Him. We obey Him, we do the things that please Him. Now, in closing, you might be thinking, how, how can I get by in pleasing the Lord in everyday life? Because I'm going to slip up, I'm going to trip up, I'm going to mess up. Yes, that's, that's okay. We're human. But God has given us a spirit of power and of a sound mind. And I love the verse in Philippians 2.13. It says, For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases Him. So actually, pleasing God does not come from us. But God gives us His power and the desire to please Him. We will want to please God because God has put it there and He's given us the power of His Spirit to please Him. It's full circle. We want to naturally cling to the Lord, do what's right, honor Him. Paul also says, I'm not trying to please people. I'm trying to please the Lord. That's always first priority. But God will give you that power because God is working in you and He's working in me. And I love that. I want to end with this verse in closing, and it's going to be on the screen. Paul would actually say this prayer to the Colossian church. Beautiful prayer. And it's for us today. And in Colossians 1.10, he says, then the way you live will always honor and please the Lord, and your lives will produce every kind of good fruit. And then he says, all the while you will grow as you learn to know God better and better. That's what I want. I just want to learn and know God better and better. You cannot know God enough. And that's the beauty of God. You can't know him enough. Get to learn about him better and better. And all the while, you will please him and honor him by the way you live. Enoch was taken by the Lord so that he did not die. But before God took him, he had this testimony that he pleased God. And that's my prayer for us as well, that we would have the testimony whenever God chooses to take us home, that people would remember you and I as someone who pleased God. That's, that's our goal. Paul said that in 1 Corinthians. Our goal is to please the Lord. Amen. And I just gave you five simple ways that we can do that together that the scripture makes clear. This is what I want from you. It's not your works. It's your heart. And there was something about Enoch that pleased the Lord so much that God took him. May that be with us as well, that we just please the Lord. We're trying. We're trying our best. God knows our heart. God knows your heart, that you're trying. He's going to honor that. Let's pray. It's great music too. Maybe that's God saying we're done. (laughs) Thank <laughs> you.
Lord God, we thank you for tonight. God, we thank you for the hope of heaven. Lord, we thank you for Hebrews chapter 11, that we can look back, that we can see example after example after example of people who lived by faith, yet the Bible makes it clear that none of them saw the eternal reward. It was Jesus. It's the hope of heaven. But also, Lord, it's very interesting that these are all stories. And we see in the, the individual of Enoch that he had a testimony that people saw and heard about. And the testimony was that he pleased you. May that be so with us. God, I know there's some people in this room saying, I'm trying, but I feel like I keep failing. I feel like my sin keeps entangling me. I, I can't get rid of it. God, your spirit is so much greater than our sin. Your grace runs so much deeper than our sin could ever run. So God, we know that you love us. And as we strive to please you, that's our goal. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. We thank you for your forgiveness. We thank you for loving us so much that you want to use us for your glory. God, may that be our testimony that we are individuals that please you, not by our works, but by our heart. God, I pray that we would surrender our lives. I pray that we would repent of our sin. I pray that we would cling to you by our faith. God, I pray that we would worship you, not just with singing, but with our lives. God, I pray that we would obey you with all our heart, all our soul and mind and strength. God, we're weak, we're broken people. So we thank you for your grace. God, we love you, we praise you. I pray that you would go before this, this congregation, this body of believers, you would strengthen them for today. You would give them the hope of eternal life and you would allow them to now strive and make it their ambition and goal to always, no matter what, please you. We thank you, Jesus. We love you and praise you and it's in your son's name. Amen.